Welcome back to the third and fifteen podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Timmerman. Um, it's time. It's time to get geared up for the 2023 college football season. It's one that I think will be a good one. We're going to get in over the next several weeks. I'm, I'm hopefully going to jump back into a more regular weekly podcast. You know, at least until the season starts, there may be a week where I where I jump out for a week, but but we're getting back into regular content heading in the 2023 season. So I'm thankful if you're listening, if you're one of my old listeners, one of my existing listeners, one of these folks that's been listening to me for the last couple of seasons. I appreciate you. Um, if you're new, buckle up. This is going to be fun. Um, before I get into the actual topic for today, we'll get into a little bit of news today. It was kind of finalized. I'm recording on Thursday, July 27th. Um, it was kind of formalized that Colorado will be heading back to the Big 12. Um, of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a big enough college football fan to know that college that Colorado has a rich tradition in the Big 12. They were in the Big 12, the Big 12 by that name, from two from 1996 through 2010, but they were in the former the old Big Eight going as far back as 1948 and a little football history the big eight and the southwestern conference had a little bit of a merger uh in 2000 in 1996 and became the big 12 but a bulk of the teams from the big 12 were in the old big eight and one of those was colorado so this is where colorado has its history folks is in the big 12 playing teams like um Kansas and let's go back and look at who was the 1996 teams. Uh, those original teams were Colorado, Nebraska, and rest of course gone. Missouri's gone, but Texas A&M's gone. Oklahoma, Texas. I'm listening to a bunch of teams that that are uh, <laughs> that aren't there anymore. Um, but I digress. The, the, the Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Iowa State, Baylor. These are teams that Colorado has history with. Um, when I grew up watching college football, this is this is who Colorado played. Um, and with the, the changing market and with teams like Cincinnati and uh, UCF coming into the, the Big 12, this is a good time for Colorado to make that jump. It's still a conference that's got some cachet, but it makes more sense regionally for Colorado. Uh, those are more regional rivals. It goes back to something I said uh, when I talked to my buddy Justin Baxley in my last episode, and I've said it before, uh, when, if two teams are good, it doesn't matter regionality. You know, when the SEC expands, when Oklahoma and Alabama are both good, doesn't matter that they're not really a great regional rival. Or when Oklahoma and Georgia, or Oklahoma and Florida, when those teams are good, it doesn't matter where they are regionally. That's a great matchup to have in your conference. The problem comes in when you've got West Virginia and Iowa State in a year that neither one of them are good and they're playing each other on a Saturday in October and nobody cares. Colorado was in that boat. Colorado's playing Washington State in a conference game in October and they're both two and six. Who cares? There's no history. There's no regionality. They, one team's having to travel hundreds of miles for that game. It's just not good. This is more natural. I said on Twitter, if you don't follow me on Twitter, at JTIMM684, I'll be getting back into more college football opinions. Right now it's a lot of baseball because it's baseball season. Um, but I said on Twitter, this is the first move for a sports team or for a college football team 
in years that made real regional, real logical sense outside of just the money. Um, and Colorado had some success, man. They had some hey, they had a real heyday in the big the big eight, the big twelve. You're talking about the late eighties, early nineties, into ninety six. Um, they had a real run there where they were going to big bowls. They won the national championship in nineteen ninety as a member of the big eight. When they won the Orange Bowl and they were split national champions with Georgia Tech. Um, they they won the Fiesta Bowl during that stretch. They won the Cotton Bowl during that stretch. Then in the late nineties, early two thousands, under Gary Barnett and the Big Twelve, they when Barnett was there, they they in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seasons, they went to bowls five times, including uh, a trip to the Fiesta Bowl. They lost, but that was a ten win season. They had some real success in the Big Twelve. It's only in the last. In 15 years or so that they went through a stretch where they only went to two bowl games in about 15 years. So going back to the Big 12 with the excitement of Deion Sanders, I really love that move for them. I don't know Deion's involvement. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that this was a move he supported. And I love it. I think it's great for Colorado. I love that move. Colorado is going to come up again. Uh, as we, we talk about our topics today. But I just wanted to get to that. I love it for the Colorado. Don't love it for the Pac-12. They're in trouble. They're going to have to find some more people and fast, or uh, USC and UCLA and Colorado won't be the last teams that leave. Um, they've got to figure something out. I think they will. There's a lot of teams out in that neck of the woods um, that, that would make sense. So I, I don't think it's, it's the end of the world. For them, but they got to figure something out. They do. Um, looking to see as Boise State made a move. Um, let's see. No, they, they they have not. So Boise State, I think, is one that that you can that you can look at as 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 potentially somebody that the Pac-12 could go get. That would be a good move for them. Thinking maybe Wyoming. Um, and there's some California schools, you know, San Diego State, uh, San Jose State. That, that I think would make sense for the Pac-12 that have some football history. But that, that that's, that's a story for another day. What we're going to talk about today, this is my annual thing. I've done it a couple of times now. I'm weirdly good at this in a way. It's really not that hard. It, it's determining which coaches are on the hot seat, which coaches are going to go. Of course, you could list 15 or 20 that could be on the hot seat if you really got down into it. But I'm looking at programs that have some history, that have had some success. I'm not looking at, you know, I said it last year, I'm not looking at Rutgers. Uh, I'm really not looking at Vanderbilt. I'm really not looking at some of these schools that have really not been very good at football. There's a couple that I'm talking about today that that are borderline on this, I'll, I'll be honest, because there were a lot of coaching moves last year. Um, I, I wonder if there were some, some programs that, all right, so 2020 happened and it was weird. Then 2021, it was weird coming out of COVID. So we don't want to fire anybody. And then 2022 came along and was like, all right, here's some guys that we really wanted to fire last year and we, we felt like we couldn't do it. Um, because there, there was, there was a, a bloodbath in some of these conferences. Um, but I just want to go over my, my record from last year. Uh, I generally do one coach per conference. I cheated and did a couple for a couple of these conferences, but, um, I started in the ACC with Mac Brown. I got that wrong. He's still there. But I want to take a little bit of credit for Mac Brown because one of the things I specifically said was, you know, if they win nine games, you know, they win the Coastal, he could buy himself another year. 
That's exactly what they did. They won nine games. They won the Coastal. They lost to Clemson in the ACC championship game. But he's got Drake May coming back. He's got some momentum. Um, so not only was he not on the hot seat last year, but I just don't see – or not only did he not get fired last year, or actually what I said would happen is that he would have one of those mutual understanding things where um, the the leadership looks at him and goes, hey, man, we, we really think you should – consider coming into the front office and he does that and and they move on but instead he had the exact year that I thought they needed um in the and he's still there and and again I think he'll I don't think he's in any trouble this year now that I've said that they're going to start out you know 0 and 5 and end up he gets fired but I don't think that's going to happen I also threw the name of Jeff Collins out there and he absolutely got fired they had another bad start of the season they fired him Brent Key comes in. Brent Key's still the head coach. So I give myself you know, half half credit for both of those because I was right about what Mac Brown needed to stick around, and I was right about Jeff Collins leaving. In the Big Ten, for the second year in a row, I picked Scott Frost. Eventually, I had to be right about that, and I was. Uh, Scott Frost started off the season one and two. They fired him. Fired him at kind of a weird spot, but I think it ended out, you know, the logic was solid. They fired him heading into the Oklahoma game. After that Oklahoma game, they had... By week, you figure they're going to lose to Oklahoma, and they did. They lost big. Go ahead and fire him then. Get that out of the way. Get a couple of weeks of practice for the new coaches before you get to some winnable games. Didn't work out, but you know it was it was a decent idea. Um, so they've moved on. They've got Matt Rule. A lot to like about what Nebraska's got going on. Who knows what the results look like this year, but they're headed in a good direction. So I got that one right. In the Big 12, I said Neil Brown at West Virginia was on the hot seat. He he stuck around even though they did go 5-7, and 3-6 and six, six in conference. So, um, spoiler alert, this may not be the last time you hear his name. Um, <laughs> but he's he's still there for now. Um, Pac-12, I said David Shaw. He didn't technically get fired. He did resign after the season. They had another 3-9 and nine year. I, I do wonder if that was a... A mercy rule, a mercy move, where they went to him and they said, "Hey, we'd like to let you resign. <laughs> we'd like to let you move on." I, I do not know what David Shaw is up to now. He, he, there's nothing on the record about him having any official role right now that I could find. Um, I'll do another quick look, but I do wonder if that was a, "Hey, you've been a heck of a coach for us, but not recently. So let's let's move on." Um. Yeah, he, he did announce he, he announced a retirement. Um resignment, resignation, retirement, whatever. I think we may see him again, whether it's as a TV analyst or whether it's as a um NFL assistant. I think we'll see him again. Um because he was he's he's only fifty. So he he's certainly not past his his age of being able to coach. Um so I think we'll see him again. But for now, he is not employed. I also threw out the name of Carl Dorrell at Colorado, and obviously that was correct. He he got fired. Deion Sanders is now the head coach at Colorado, so I, I'm taking credit for two coaches there. Um, and then Jimbo Fisher, I did not think about the massive dollars on his contract when I said that he would be on the hot seat and he would get fired. Um, but again, another spoiler alert. Because they went five and seven, two and six last year and missed a bowl game uh, for the first time in, in quite some time. It's the first time since two thousand eight. Uh, his his name's going to come back up again later, folks. Um, so that is that. 
I, I, the ones I got absolutely right were Jeff Collins from the ACC for a half point. I got Scott Frost, got David Shaw. That's two that I got dead on. I also got extra ones in Jeff Collins and Carl Durrell. I was wrong about Neil Brown and Jimbo Fisher and that they both had bad seasons and they were both still coaches. I was sort of right about Mac Brown. Um, he, he did exactly what I said he needed to do to keep his job. So, um, all in all, not a bad little run for me last year. We'll see how I can do this year. I'm going to take a break, and then I'm going to get into the coaches that I think we could be we could be looking at some, some changes for in or after the 2023 season. All right, we're back. Um, we're going to start, like I always do with the ACC, first alphabetically and first in our hearts. Um, I think we got to be looking at Jeff Halfley at Boston College. Um, Boston College is one of those programs, one of those teams, they've never been a national power. There have been a couple of times where they finished in the top five way back in the day. Um, we're talking in the 40s, they would finish in the top five. Little run in the 80s where they finished uh, top five in 84. Um, they've had some very nice years where they finished ranked. They were they were a top ten team in twenty two thousand seven. Um, that was uh, Matt Ryan era at at Boston College. Uh, they've regularly been a bowl participant, but under Jeff Halfley, um, last year they went three and nine and two and six in the ACC. That's just three straight. The best year under Jeff Halfley was twenty twenty when they went six and five. Ended up not going to a bowl game. They did qualify for a bowl game in 2021. Uh, they went 6-6. Six and six. The military bowl against East Carolina got canceled. Um, have not won a bowl game uh, since 2016 under Steve Adazio. So there's just no momentum in that program. They've been a essentially 500 ball team or worse. Uh, with some 7-5 and five sprinkled in there. 2-10. Uh, the last time they won more than seven games was 2009. I just can't see where they're going to want to keep doing that. And, and Jeff Halfley has not improved over the last coach, over over the Steve Adazio era. Um, I got to think, if, if, if they're not a, at least a 500 ball club this year, um, they're probably looking to make a move. And and we can look. Let's let's see what their schedule looks like this year. I, I meant to mark that down and I didn't. Um, let's see. We'll see what their schedule looks like this year. See if there's a spot that we that we might um, that we might see a change. But all in all, I, I've watched a lot of Boston College. Obviously, they're in Clemson's division. I'm a Clemson fan. If this is your first time hanging around. Um, there's just not a lot. There was a time when I would be really worried about Boston College games because they were just so tough. It just doesn't feel that way anymore. Even though they have played Clemson close a little bit in the last couple years, they just, they're not a team I'm scared of. In fact, I end up not watching that game because it's either going to be a, a blowout 
I'll watch it if it's on or if, if it works out. But let's say Clemson's playing Boston College on the same night Alabama's playing Tennessee or or Southern Cal's playing Utah. I'm probably going to peek at that other game a lot more than I normally would because one of two things is going to happen. Either Clemson's going to beat the brakes off to Boston College or Clemson's going to struggle against a Boston College team that they shouldn't. And and I got to think that the folks up in Boston want more than that. They want Boston College to be in that conversation. If Wake Forest can be in that conversation like they have been the last couple of years, you got to think Boston College feels like they can do the same. So they start out this year September 2nd against Northern Illinois. Then they got Holy Cross on September 9th. Florida State in a noon game on September 16th. Then Louisville September 23rd. Virginia September 30th. Army October 7th. You kind of look at bye weeks as a, as a potential change. Um, I'm kind of thinking if they get to October 14th and they're not at least, if they don't have at least four wins, because at that point you've still got Georgia Tech, UConn, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, Pitt, and Miami after that. They do not play Clemson this year because of the adjusted schedule. You got to think if, if they, if, if, if they're not looking at, gosh, at least three or four wins in that first few games, that, that that might be the spot. I just I can't see Boston College wanting to continue much more of what they've had. Um, so I think if you know, especially if they get to that bye week and they're you know they've got two wins, um, that Army game might decide their season or might decide his 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 fate. They lose the Army and and they fall to you know two and four with some tough games down the stretch, that might be it. Um, or, hey, all of those games except for Florida State are super winnable. If Boston College, they could come out and be 5-1 at that point, and he's he's angling for ACC Coach of the Year. The, the, that first half of the season is so critical for Boston College, and, and that's going to be a running theme. Um, next up, we've got the Big Ten. Uh, this is where I, I diverge a little bit from my plan in that Indiana is not what you would call a traditional football power. But just a couple years ago, they were challenging for a Big Ten title. It was the COVID season. They did lose Michael Penix Jr. to Washington, but that's kind of part of it, right? Like, if you're Indiana, you're a Big Ten football team with new blood coming in. Do you really want to be the program that, like, the really good players leave? Is that really what you want? Um... They really haven't been good under under Tom Allen. The last two years were two and ten, zero and nine, and then four and eight and two and seven. I, in the first couple of games, they've got Penn State. I think it was no, that that's not them. But they do have Louisville on nine on September sixteenth. That's kind of a big marker for them. I think if Indiana doesn't come out and if they lose to Louisville with with their Big Ten schedule looming ahead of them, we might see a change that early for them. Um, just because, again, if, if these programs do not want to play in these major conferences, to just be a, a, a doormat. And they felt like they were so close, and then they've regressed. They were so close to being relevant. Indiana was, was relevant. They were making some big strides in recruiting. They were out there getting some exciting players. And it's kind of fallen flat. So, uh, I feel like Tom Allen in Indiana, in the Big Ten, he, he might be... Might be your guy that you're looking at. Moving on to the Big 12. I said Neil Brown last year. I'm going to say it again. Neil Brown, the Big 12, you know, West Virginia, the, the Big 12 is right for the taking. 
after this year or in the next couple of years, they're they're losing Oklahoma, they're losing Texas, they're replacing it with Colorado. Teams are going to want to position themselves, and I think West Virginia is going to be one of those teams that that wants to establish. And and Neil Brown era has not gone well. They're no longer uh they've tried to bring in transfers hasn't worked, um hasn't really worked out. They got to do better. They're another team. September sixteenth is a big date for them. They've got they open with Penn State, then they've got Duquesne, then they've got Pitt. That's their three non-conference games. Um, I expect they'll beat Duquesne, but if they go one and two, and lose again and lose to their rival Pitt, and, and lose to Penn State, those are the kind of teams that West Virginia wants to be on the same level. They want to be on the level with the Penn States and the Pitts of the world. They need to be on the same level with for the Penn State, specifically Penn State and Pitt. That's right there. That's their recruiting area. Those are the those are that's the part of the country that they want to be established in. And if they're losing to those teams regularly, it's going to be hard to turn that program around. It's already going to be hard. It's going to be even harder. So, I expect Neil Brown if he's not if he doesn't win one of those games against Penn State or Pitt. I think again another another coach that we could see gone as early as mid September, um, and we've seen changes that early. I mean that's when Scott Frost got fired. Uh, we I think it was Herm Edwards got fired relatively early in the season. I might be wrong about that. His might have been later, but we we've seen some coaches get gone that early. So that's the Big Twelve. Neil Brown, West Virginia. Now we're going to move on to the Pac twelve. Pac twelve was a little tricky. Um, because Pac-12 had a great year last year. They had like six or seven teams that finished the season ranked. Um, we had Stanford and and Colorado and Arizona State. They all made changes last year. So there really weren't that many teams left that I think are, are, are reasonable teams to think could make a move this, uh, this season. So it was left a little bit um, hamstrung. Um, and but but I did make a choice. I went with Justin Wilcox. Um, last year for Cal, and again Cal's not you know that's that's not a a super great football program, but they've been a bowl team. They've been a team that was regularly even within the last couple decades regularly making bowls. And last two seasons they've gone five and seven, four and five in the conference, and four and eight, two and seven in the conference. Um, they. I think his leash is going to be a little bit longer just because of the nature of their schedule and the nature of who Cal is as a program. Um, they also know that they only have to wait out Southern Cal and UCLA, that the conference, and, and then Colorado, the conference gets a lot, is, is going to change, and it's going to get a lot easier in the next couple of years. Um, if the playoff format, the 12-team playoff format continues like it is, a Pac-12 champion still has a really good shot of getting into the playoffs, and the Pac-12 gets easier. So they may be a little more patient, but um, they start. Here's their schedule: they start out with North North Texas, then Auburn, then Idaho, then Washington, then Arizona State, then Oregon State, then Utah. Utah is on the four, October 14th. They have a bye week, then they play Southern Cal on October 28th. So let's say they're. That's seven games. So, so let's say they're four and three. They, they beat North Texas, they beat Idaho, they beat Arizona State, and they beat Oregon State. They've only got losses to Auburn, Washington, and Utah. 
I think he's fine. And especially if he can beat Auburn, uh, Washington, or Utah. He's really fine. But if they're 3-4 and four because they lost to Arizona State, or worse, they're 2-5 and five and their only wins are North Texas and Idaho, that would be a really good time to do kind of like Nebraska did. Okay, you're going. You've just gotten your brains beat in by Utah. Um, you're going into a bye week. You've got Southern Cal coming the next. Well, I guess it was different than what Nebraska did, but because they had the bye week after. But coming into that game against Southern Cal, you can almost consider that another bye week. Hey, we're not going to win this game anyway. Um, if we're two and five because we couldn't beat um, Oregon State or or uh, Washington or Oregon State or Arizona State, if we're, we're two and five, um, we're probably not going to beat. Southern Cal anyway, the way we're going. So let's count that as another bye week and, and kind of give the, the interim coach and the, the new coaching staff an extra week of practice. Uh, having a new coach coaching coaching in a uh, house money game, so to speak, could be a really cool thing because they could actually win. That would be so much fun. Um, so that's where I really think you need to look. That, that bye week is really key. Um, and of course, hey, if they come out and they lose to North Texas, Auburn, and Idaho, the change might happen then. That might be when Cal says, Justin, Mr. Wilcox, get up out of here. Um, but I, I think he'll probably make it to at least the bye week. We're really moving right along. This brings us to the SEC. Uh, last year I said Jimbo Fisher was going to be gone. Went 5-7, and 2-6, and six, missed a bowl game for the first time since 2008. They did redeem themselves. They did manage to beat LSU. Um, and and, and they, the SEC had a national champion in uh, Georgia. But it's kind of a down year in a lot of ways for the SEC. Uh, Alabama got knocked out of the playoffs, and they didn't really get replaced. with you know Normally the SEC has two teams that you really feel like ought to be in the playoffs. Really didn't get replaced because Tennessee had some losses they shouldn't. LSU had a loss they shouldn't. Texas A&M was abysmal. Ole Miss blew their chance. I mean, they were just – it was a little bit of a down year for the SEC as years go. SEC still probably the best conference in the country, although the Pac-12 had a great year last year. Big Ten, very solid. Got two teams in the playoffs. Um, SEC is probably still the best conference in the country, but a, a down year by their standards. And, and Texas A&M was a big part of that. They were a top-10 team to start the season, and they finished 5-7, and 2-6, and six, unranked, no bowl game. The money keeps Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, right? But the fire has to be hot. They, they are, if they don't come out of the gate super hot, they start out with uh, New Mexico, Miami, Louisiana Monroe, Auburn, and then Arkansas before they play Alabama. I got to think if, if – I would even venture to say if Texas A&M loses any of those first four games – I'm not. They're not going to fire Jimbo if they're three and one. But when you look at the rest of their schedule after that, you got to wonder if if one loss in those first four games isn't what dooms him. Um, and and here's why I say that. All right. Because yeah, they're three and one at that point, and and they've already got a a conference win under their belt, probably. You know, let's say they're one. There's a chance they have no conference wins at that point, especially if they lose to Auburn and they're they're three and one. But their three wins are New Mexico, Miami, and Louisiana Monroe. 
that 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 win over Miami is a good win. Don't get me wrong, especially on the road. But they've still got to play Arkansas. Then they got to play Alabama. Then they got to play Tennessee, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Then Abilene Christian. Then LSU. How many of those games are they going to win? If you've lost to Auburn, are you going to beat Arkansas? Probably not going to beat Alabama. Maybe not. Maybe. I don't know how good Alabama's going to be this year. I mean, probably don't beat Tennessee. Maybe you don't beat South Carolina. Like, I could see the writing on the wall at 3-1. and one, that This is one of those teams that 3-1, and one, they're still, you know, maybe they're ranked. Winning, beating Miami gets them up in the top 25. Lost to Auburn, drops them down into 22. And they're ranked then, and then they just lose six of the last eight games. So the writing may be on the wall. But especially if they're 2-2 two and two going into Arkansas, that might be when they do it. If their only wins are New Mexico and Louisiana Monroe and they've lost to Miami and they've lost to Auburn, that might be enough to do it. And that by the time they play Arkansas on on um, September 30th, they've already made a change. I don't think we can rule that out. Um, So I really do think that this feels like the year that if Texas A&M doesn't look like at any point in the year, if if they don't look like a team that's definitely making a bowl game this year, if we're sitting at a point in the season where you're starting to do the math, like, and I'm a sicko. We got a lot of sickos down here in the South. I like to to sit there and look at Georgia Tech and South Carolina schedules and go, ha, ah, you're not going to make a bowl. Now, South Carolina turned around and beat Clemson this year. Had a just fine, just fine finish to the season. A just fine finish to the season. Um, South Carolina... Heck of a season last year, really. Um, and you won't hear me say that a lot, so so make your notes. Mark it down. Um, if, if you're a South Carolina fan, they had a heck of a season last year. Uh, barely lost to a good Notre Dame team in a bowl game. Um, beat Clemson. Beat Tennessee. Uh, beat Kentucky when Kentucky was ranked. Beat Texas A&M. Um, just a solid season. Finished 8-5, and 4-4. Five, four and four. What Shane Beamer is doing in Columbia is fantastic, uh, but there's always these points in the season where you look and go, "Well, yeah, you're you know after they beat Kentucky, yeah, you're four and two, but you might lose all your last or most of your last games and might and not even not even make a bowl." Same thing with Georgia Tech. Texas A&M could be in that real spot, and if they get in that spot uh, sometime middle of the season, I, th- I think you see a change. I think there's enough money come off that contract and the the stakes are high with Texas and Oklahoma joining them in the Big 12 because we talked about it with West Virginia up in that part of the country, up in that West Virginia, Pennsylvania mountainous neck of the woods. So far, even though Oklahoma and at some points Texas have been better than Texas A&M, what Texas A&M has had for the last almost decade is the ability to recruit that, yeah, but you're, in, you're coming to the SEC. Well, they, they don't have that on Oklahoma and Texas anymore. It is important, it is dire to them that they do not let Oklahoma and Texas have more momentum coming into that SEC move than Texas ha- or than, than Texas, A- Texas A&M has. Because if, if they screw around and let Jimbo Fisher... Um, drag them down into mediocrity or worse and god forbid texas has a really comes back and by the time they come to the sec they're you know a a, a top 10 team and oklahoma's a top 10 team that may be it for texas a&m 
that could be the thing that turns them into Texas Tech, where not too long ago Texas Tech was a was a national power playing on Saturday night in a game where the winner goes possibly goes to the playoff. Now Texas Tech is kind of an also ran. Uh, Texas A&M doesn't want to become that. They got too much money in that program or available to that program to become that. But if that money doesn't do something this year, and again, Texas A&M, they got all the talent in the world. or They got all the resources and the recruitment in the world. They could come out. They could be a playoff team this year. I fully believe that they got talent on the roster to be a playoff team this year. Or they could do like they did last year and finish 5-7. and seven. Because there's enough good teams on their schedule. They could lose to Miami, Auburn, Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, LSU. That's most of their schedule, folks. They could go 3-9. and nine. That's out there. Um, so this is just a crucial year. I think this is the year that if, if Jimbo doesn't get it done, uh, probably starting off the year unranked, I would assume. Um, rankings aren't out, obviously. Uh, but... I got to think if if this is the opportunity that that there's no pressure. They're starting off the season unranked. That they they don't have the the top 10 um specter hanging over their head. Um this is the year to get it done. And if and if they don't get it done, he's gone. I I really do think this is the year. But I said that last year. So, um who knows? Anyway, hope you guys have enjoyed this. Again, it's like I said last year, it's a weird topic. It's weird to celebrate coaches getting fired. Not really celebrating, it's just a fact. It's a part of the game. It's a cruel game. I would I would say college football is the cruelest game in terms of coaching record. You got coaches getting fired sometimes off of teams that are well, uh, heck, Tommy Bowden, I don't think they he had a losing record as a Clemson head coach. Let's look. Let's look that up. I, I think he had a winning record every year at Clemson. Did not matter. <laughs> because Clemson had higher hopes. And some of it was even, sometimes it's even your own doing. Uh, yeah, Clemson had zero losing seasons under Tommy Bowden. None. His last three full seasons were 8-4, and 8-5, and 9-4. and four. At a program that had not won a national championship since the early 80s. And yet, uh, he had never missed a bowl game. They had one year that they, they didn't go to a bowl game, and that was 2004 when they had the big fight against South Carolina, and they declined bowl invites. Um, made, the bowl, made a bowl every year. Got let go in 2008 because his own success, his own recruiting success. Think about that, folks. That's how cruel college football can be is that his own recruiting success, his own ability to bring talent into Clemson that should have been competing for ACC titles but wasn't, is why he got fired, why he got let go, why they went in a different direction. Um, It was the right choice, obviously. Tigers have almost had nothing but success since. Won so many ACC titles since he, he got let go. It was the right choice. But that's the kind of sport college football is. It's a cruel sport. So when we talk about when, when every year when I do this feature, when I do this episode about coaches getting let go, it's not that I'm celebrating it. It's that I'm just embracing the reality of college football. That a couple of these coaches in every conference, is, in every conference are going to be looking for an, another opportunity um, by November at the latest. So 
that's the episode. Hope you've um, hope you've enjoyed it. A little, little wet your whistle for college football. We'll get back in when the rankings come out. We'll talk about that. When uh, we'll do some Heisman hopefuls. We'll do some Heisman front runners. If you're interested in that sort of thing, if you're listening to this, follow me again. Follow me on Twitter at jtimm six eight four. Find me on Facebook. Uh, if you've got my phone number, a lot of you that listen, uh, the fan base is still small enough that most of you who are listening have my personal phone number. Text me a guy that you think will, would be a uh, Heisman hopeful, and and I'll either I'll talk about him one way or the other. I'll talk about why I agree with you or why maybe I think that it's, that's not somebody that could win the Heisman. Um, anyway, either way, hit me up, and uh, we'll have. I'm hoping we'll have a great 2023 season. Until next time, stay safe. Have a good one.